Hello and welcome to IFCAST, the forward-looking tech podcast from Intuitive Future. As always, I'm your host, Nick Hagar, and today with me I have Will Mayo, CEO and founder of Spoken Layer. Will, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here, Nick. Of course. Uh, can you start, just kick it off by telling us what is Spoken Layer? Sure. So Spoken Layer is a digital audio platform. We create podcasts and streaming audio for top-tier brands like Time.com, Reuters, Huffington Post, and other great brands like that. Okay, and tell me a little bit about where the idea came from. So there's a couple different places it came from. It was really an intersection of a, uh, a couple things. I've always been involved in sound and audio and web. Um, I've always been an interest and passion of mine, being an engineer and a musician. Um, but the other side of the equation is that I'm actually uh, quite dyslexic. So I had to use audiobooks and text-to-speech uh, to get through school. So when I was finishing grad school with my engineering degrees, I said, why can't I listen to the web the same way I used to listen to books? So I decided to solve that problem. Sure. And so what you produce is all then taking written text from these publishers and from these sites and having it read then, correct? It's not coming up with anything not already there. Correct. Yeah, we don't create any original content. We take what publishers already produce and what's already great editorial content, great stories. They've done the research. They have the authors. They have the brand. They have the story. And we just take what's the best content they have and put it into a medium in which people can consume wherever they are. Okay. And then... So jumping into that a little bit, um, I know you talked about the dyslexia element. Is it an accessibility product or is there another goal to having this? It really isn't an accessibility product. That was just the lens that gave me uh, a different way to see the world and see how people can consume content. Um, you know, when for me, I was overwhelmed by media growing up because I had trouble consuming it. But now the average consumer is overwhelmed by how many things they want to consume. You know, you can think of how many tabs you leave open or how many things you insta paper or how many um, things fly through your feed that you would be interested in consuming but don't have the time to read. Um, but you do have the time to listen. So I think it really is designed as uh, what is kind of the 2.0 of, of on-demand audio or of podcasting or of radio. You know, nobody's built the Pandora of NPR. Nobody's built that really great experience around giving you the news and information and insights that are relevant to you from the sources you already care about. Okay. So I guess it sounds like what you're trying to do is just take all the stuff that we want to experience and make it easier to do so. Yeah, and, and put it put it in on our phones and in our headphones, which we're already carrying around and don't get to use for a lot of the types of content that we're most interested in. Okay, and then I'm interested because you've mentioned NPR, you've mentioned podcasts, that sort of thing. What space or what market do you see this product living in? Because I know NPR is working on you know NPR One, that is sort of that radio for public radio, I guess. Yeah, I think NPR is a great experience pulling together the segments and shows and pieces of things um, that are most relevant to you and actually doing a really good job of personalizing um, the content that comes from within the NPR universe. But still, it's only a limited amount of content. NPR can only produce so much content every day because of how expensive it is to create, whereas we can create thousands or tens of thousands of individual stories or segments a day really easily and cheaply and make it so that you can create that truly personal experience at a much larger scale. Um, I see Spoken Layer as kind of somewhere at an intersection between radio, podcasts, and audiobooks. I don't think it fits in any one of those markets directly, but it's kind of we get to take the best of all those worlds and combine it into a new form of content and a new medium, really. And how are you able to produce all of this content so cheaply? So we have uh, effectively a distributed 
connected network of voiceover artists and voice talent. Um, the really the simplest way to think of it is the same way that Uber has drivers distributed all over the world and through an app connected through a logistics platform. We did the same thing, so we can produce content at about one tenth of the cost of what it would t- typically take to produce in a studio. Okay, and that's really interesting. So on the back end, does that look like you know an app that I get an alert and say, hey, someone needs this recorded and then do it? Or how does that look? Similar to that, yeah. So we basically have dashboards for all of our voices and talent so that they can log into and see um, stories and jobs that are relevant to them, their skill set, their type of voice, and the knowledge that they have. So when anyone logs in, they can see what's potentially relevant to them and pick that up. And it's just like Uber, whoever, whichever driver picks it up first gets the job. And same thing for us, whichever talent picks it up first that's relevant to it gets the job. Okay. And what scale are you operating on? How many people do you have contributing and what outlets are you working with? So right now, uh, some of our live clients, we do Time.com, we do Reuters, we do Huffington Post, we do Aussie, we do um, Smithsonian, we do stuff for EW Scripts, um, and we're actually launching a bunch of new partners um, in the next couple weeks and months. Can't talk about them yet, since typically uh, media partners like not to be named before things become official. But it's really focusing on brands that have large, you know, audiences of tens of millions of people, often international both national and international brands because we're helping them extend into places they haven't been able to get into yet. Now, those brands all produce a lot of written content, like many, Mm -hmm. many stories per day. Are you taking everything they produce and making it into audio or do you select what you use? No. We take a subset of it. You know, some of our publishers produce 100, 150 um, pieces of content a day. So typically, let's say Time.com, for example, produces, I think, between 120 and 150 pieces of content a day. And we do about 40. Um, We typically look at what's the best content, the most popular, trending, things that they find interesting, the things that they're earmarking as great content. So we tend to look at how they're already uh, deciding what to promote and push, and we use that as a curation to decide what makes sense to go into audio. Obviously, things like slideshows or um, video embeds or things like that don't make a lot of sense, so obviously we skip those um, because those wouldn't be great audio experiences, but many of their stories work incredibly well. Sure. But along with that, I also wonder if you're still doing, you know, 40 or however many pieces of content a day, that's a lot of audio content. And Mm -hmm. I wonder, how do you think about positioning that in this world of podcasts and other audio content that people are already very familiar with and very invested in? How do you draw them towards what you're producing? So we don't necessarily think every piece of content should get consumed. You know, just like news, it's not every article that Time writes is going to be a hit. It's only going to be specific ones. So we're using that to have a library of content to be able to pull on. So we, for example, with Time.com, we syndicate each individual story, but we also package them up every day into a single episode of stitching together the 10 best. So someone can just have a daily podcast that people are used to in iTunes and other platforms, but we also make that content available on Time.com. So if someone happens to come to that article or to a category page, they can always listen regardless of what's on that page. Sure. And then transitioning a little bit, I wonder, because you're using this written work to create what you're creating, and your argument is sort of that this audio format is much more engaging to modern Mm -hmm. audiences. But I wonder with that, it's sort of a tension between this is the engaging format, but we need this written word produced to have what we have now. I wonder if you've thought about that at all in your model. You mean the fact that 
to do what we do, we have to start with written content and turn into audio. And does that restrict us from growing? Is that the question you're asking? Well, I think more from the perspective of this audio market is more engaging. I wonder if your model of producing audio will sort of make the written part uh, obsolete. Uh, it's actually, that's a comment that we've had from a couple uh, advisors and investors we've talked to throughout the, the years is, you know, is one is, will this change the way people write content? And I think the answer is yes. It will make things more narrative, more descriptive, um, and more engaging and more story-like, which at the end of the day is good for everyone. Um, and at some point, there will be content that will be written or created just in audio. I think this is kind of our starting point. There's nothing that will stop us of, you know, you look at Netflix, which first distributed other people's content and then started to create their own. I think there's the same thing of right now we're taking existing written content because a lot of the work has already been done and we're turning it into another form but eventually we know enough around what content works where it works when it works to maybe get into the um, realm of creating just audio as opposed to taking written content first and then turning it into audio but I think that's far off in our future sure but there definitely there is a con condensing in the future you would say yeah definitely. yeah I I think that the written content will be will change over time. Video content will change over time, and so will audio, and will all evolve as it becomes more and more specific to the medium and how people are consuming it. Okay, and so with this whole audio format, I would think you're focusing mostly on mobile, correct? Yeah, that's where we see incredible engagement. You know, you look at a standard publisher, they're lucky if they can get their users to spend 10 to 15 seconds per session, whereas when they're engaging with spoken layer content, especially on their own sites, it can be 18 to 20 minutes. So we can see, you know, going from 10 seconds to 20 minutes is uh, something publishers and media partners are, have never been able to see before. So we've really seen incredible engagement with audio, especially on mobile devices, because someone can hit play, put it in their pockets, and they'll engage for, you know, fractions of an hour as opposed to fractions of a minute. Right. No, that's very impressive. Um, and I wonder, just this popped into my head when you were talking about that, how do you look at producing audio content with this advertising revenue model that publishers depend on right now? Um, I think it, it fits hand in hand with it, you know, as advertising started in the world of radio way back 100 years ago, that's where, you know, a lot of advertising has its origins and the most authentic and natural ads and advertising and sponsorships come from the world of audio. So if anything, it kind of harkens back to the original side of this of creating a really great experience of, hey, you're listening to this story from time to com. It's brought to you by blank. Check out blank.com to engage more. And I think it tends to be the most authentic and inline experience. It's also nice because you can't have ad blockers. You can't skip it. You can't have fake traffic. All those problems go away in the world of audio, which are really plaguing video and uh, banners at the moment. So then you would say that the ads you provide with audio are even more valuable than any visual ads. No question. And actually, even in the market from a CPM basis and a, an actually dollar basis, that is true. Okay. Gotcha. And so then um, when you're looking at distributing this content for publishers, I know you talked a little bit about the cost for the publisher themselves to do this. But mm -hmm. um, what would you say is the advantage of sort of outsourcing this and saying you produce this based on our content as opposed to producing something original in the audio form? Um, well, you can look at kind of the market of what it costs to produce content. Um, you know, if, if you look at kind of uh, figures, you can say, say what, 
what everyone tends to regard as some of the best content, let's say, you know, This American Life. Um, based on the budget they have, it can cost upwards of $200,000 per hour to create that content. Um, and you look at, say, NPR, it can be tens of thousands of dollars per hour to produce NPR content on kind of the local or national level. Um, even to pay someone to produce a highly produced um, podcast could be hundreds of dollars an hour. Um, and, you know, is This American Life a thousand times better than reading an article out loud? Probably not. Um, so from an ROI perspective, being able to create a similar amount of content or even higher volume of content for many, many orders of magnitude cheaper, you're playing a little bit more of the game, which is the internet, which is producing a lot of content and letting smaller audiences find the things that they're most niche interested in, as opposed to producing one piece of content that hopefully works for everyone. It's kind of the many-to-one game versus one-to-many. But along with that, do you worry that that sort of mentality will maybe get rid of the high-value content that's being produced? I think the high-value content, there will always be the, the, the head of the curve where something that it's it, you know, truly unique and a truly great production that's worth it. Um, I think those things will get cheaper over time because of technology and um, know-how and operations, but I think there's, there will always be a difference of people creating original custom content versus scaling other ways to create content. Sure. Okay, and then... With what you're doing, it's heavily focused on audio, obviously, um, but there mm -hmm. is also, I think, a lot of talk in the market looking at mobile and the future of the space for yeah. video. Mm -hmm. um, and those are sort of the two multimedia forms that are looking towards the future, which is going to be it. Why do you think that audio is going to be more valuable or the form instead of video? So I think they're, they're both important. The, the big difference is you still have to look at a video. You can't look at a video while you're driving. You can't look at the video while you're running. You can't look at the video while you're cooking. Um, so all those times, it's not the best experience. And a lot of people still, even if you look at television, a lot of the use of television is just the audio side of it. So it's kind of jumping right to the value in, in our perspective of audio is much more um, mobile in, in terms of not just the device you're consuming it on, but you can physically be mobile while you're consuming audio. And it goes with you as opposed to with video, you have to go to it. You have to go to the device, you have to watch the device, um, and you know, it becomes a full body experience to watch or read something, whereas listening is not. You can truly multitask. Okay, sure. And then along with that, as audio becomes more prominent as a way to consume news, how do you think it's going to change the way that we consume content? I think there will be much more personalized experiences. You know, right now it's been much more of a kind of catalog subscription style um, experience, the same way that, you know, magazines and newspapers traditionally were. Every day it would get put on your door, you decide to read it or not, in the same way that, you know, every day a podcast may get downloaded and you decide whether or not to listen to it, as opposed to we look at what, say, Pandora and Spotify and songs on all these different services did, which is make it so that when you go in, the experience is catered to what time of day it is, what you're doing, where you are, the things you're interested in, um, and really is a much more personalized experience, which I think still hasn't happened in the world of spoken audio, um, mostly because each individual piece of content, say a podcast, could be 20, 30, 60 minutes long, and it's hard to string three of those together because that could be hours long experience, whereas if you take smaller bits of content that are one or two or three minutes long, you can put 10 of those back to back in an interesting and unique way for each person to create a really great experience. No, I definitely think that's interesting. And um, you sort of already answered this, but I know that 
in the past, there have been many, many uh, tries at sort of personalized news, especially, mm-hmm. I think, there was this big promise, oh, we're going to customize the homepage for everyone, and it didn't really work out. So I know you talked about you know the Spotify or the Pandora model, but is that what's going to make audio the medium that fixes what didn't work in text? Um, I think that has worked in text in certain ways. You look at Pocket and Instapaper and Flipboard, and I think those Apple News and things like that have shown that there really can be a great experience around personalized media consumption. Um, I think there hasn't been an experience in spoken audio to mimic those yet. Um, But I also think... You know, going to time.com or going to Reuters or going to one of those sites, you're using that as your curation, and the, that editorial perspective is the one that you subscribe to. So that becomes the curation as opposed to um, getting a perfectly unique experience for every user. And I think that's what's going to evolve over time is just seeing how do brands and media companies create that personalized experience and how, how, how much of an extreme do they take that to. Right. I think um, you sort of touched on this, but I think that with things like Pocket, Apple News, and all those, the curation is more on the user side, and I think it'll be interesting. The prob- the challenge to overcome will be figuring out how to sort of move that curation a little bit to suggest more and to move it more towards the company side. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it'll always be a mix of both. There will be a small number of users providing a lot of input, and I think that will drive what the experience should be for for a larger population. Sure. And then along with that, the idea of curation, I know it's been discussed before in news. Um, do you think that it's going to be a problem when people are curating, customizing what they're consuming in news and not being maybe exposed to some important stories or might miss something? Um it's interesting because if you give that much control and that many knobs to people, they tend to dial it in so the news becomes what they want to hear as opposed to what they need to hear. And I think that's an interesting balance that I don't really have an answer for yet. I think it's going to evolve over time. Um, I think it kind of is a oscillation between total control and hearing only what you want to hear and then having some more uh, a higher perspective that's figuring out what you need to hear and um, or read or watch or see. Um, and I, I don't know where we are in the swing of that at the moment, but I think it will just continue to oscillate as time and technology uh, move forward. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, and I want to switch over a little bit um, and talk about money. How do you monetize digital audio? So there's a couple different ways. Um, the ecosystem of digital audio is evolving. So I think there's kind of three main factors and three main kind of buckets of revenue. There's revenue around creating content. There's revenue around monetizing the content itself. And then there's revenue around monetizing the experience of how you consume that content. So for example, you can make revenue by charging people to create content from a B2B perspective. You can run ads and sponsors, which is monetizing the content itself. Or you can charge subscriptions for um, content, which is monetizing the experience or access to that content. I think those are all uh, very uh, interesting ways to generate revenue. We're lucky as a company that we get to participate in all of those. Um, but I think from an end user perspective, there's always the free option, which is ad and sponsorship supported, or there's the premium option, which is where you get access and maybe even an ad free experience. And do you think in the future, is that going to continue to be true? Is one going to maybe come to more prominence or is it going to change at all? I think there, um, will always be, you know, the, 
market will be dominated by free content that's ad supported um, and there will always be a group of users that want to get it ad free and want to have access to more content than others um, what the balance is of that you know you can look at examples of other companies in the world of audio both music and um, digital audio to see what those look like but um, I think time time starting to show that people are willing to as percentage of people are willing to pay for content and the majority of users are willing to listen to ads and sponsors. So I think it will be a blend of those two. Okay, and then more generally, uh, what do you think the future of this space is going to look like? Um, I think the consumer experiences and how people consume audio and where they consume it um, needs to evolve. I think we are still working on a lot of older methodologies of subscript of catalogs and here are the three shows I like. I download them every day or every week and I listen to those and that's it. It's a pretty static and what I think of as almost analog experience. There hasn't been that same digital experience that we've come to expect from Netflix and YouTube and other say video platforms um, that hasn't translated to audio and the same thing for music. Again, I'm keep referencing the same people, but you know, songs of Pandora, Spotify, those experiences are really great for music because they've enabled social collaboration, they've enabled playlisting, they've enabled recommendations, they've enabled personalization, all of those things at a massive scale, um, whereas uh, podcasting and those still remain kind of an analog niche um, methodology of interacting with them. Obviously, they've grown significantly and massive populations are using them now, but it's still kind of this slightly more old school method of um, consuming content. So I think the consumer experience needs to evolve and change, and then that will really uh, give spoken audio its growth over the next one to three years. And then from your perspective specifically, when you're talking about sort of allowing people this evolved experience, it sounds like it's going to require a little more engagement, a little more involvement on the side of the user. Um, and I wonder what makes you think that people will be that engaged with the news, that that will be something that's attractive to end users? Um, well, I think news is only one category of content. You know, that's what we focused on first because there was a big pain point there with a lot of media companies and publishers in that space. Um, but I think other types of content, whether it be lifestyle or gossip or technology or business or um, instructional content or educational content are all very interesting. And I think it's about following where people are interested in content, what do they want to find out about, what are they most interested in, and going down those verticals and those paths to um, open up those user bases and new ways to consume content. Um, and I think we're still early days in what it could be at a massive scale. Gotcha. So, it, But it will involve just finding all the verticals and helping all of them get to the content they want. Yeah, and I think that's the nice thing. The way we look at our platform is we're very content agnostic. We kind of jokingly say we're kind of in a Switzerland position because any content should be consumed wherever people want. You should be able to read a story. You should be able to watch a story. You should be able to listen to a story. And you should be able to interact with the story, um, ideally. Not every story makes sense to be looked at in all four of those ways, but the more stories you can open up and the more formats, the more chance that people will be able to get engaged by it. Sure, no, that's interesting. And uh, reaching... The end here, but before we go, can you tell me what's Spoken Layer's six-month plan and where are you looking at for the far future? 
Yeah, so the the near term for us in the next couple quarters is really turning on as many brands and media companies and publishers as possible, really focused on working with great brands, with large audiences that want to reach people in new and exciting ways. So our focus is partnering with as many people as possible to get uh, their content out there. Um, So I think that's really a focus for us. Um, And also enabling more ways to distribute that content, putting it in more cool and unique places for people to consume. Um, And the much longer term vision for us is we want to be at at the core of what spoken and digital audio is and how people consume it and where people consume it. And, you know, as we're really technology and analytics and engineering focused company, you know, being those pipes, being the engine and being the data behind all that is what's most intriguing to us. That's really interesting. Uh, and where can people find you online? So we're uh, at SpokenLayer.com. Um, our site's pretty pretty simple because at the end of the day, it's all about the back-end technology that powers a lot of our partners. So go there if you're interested in some of the other brands we're working with. Or if you're someone who has a great voice, um, you can always go to SpokenLayer.com slash audition and become one of our talent as well. Great. Will, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening and happy new year. As always, be sure to check out the show on iTunes. I'm at Nick Hagar on Twitter. Production and design are by me and our theme is by Grant Nell. Thanks again and have a great week.